turn to this passage. Um, I'm going to read it uh, uh, one more time briefly. Um, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing uh, is on the head of him who sells it. Um, I've been uh, I've been going to church for 35 years, um, pretty much every week. Um, baby missed two or three Sundays a year, um, so figure I was going to nursery for the first four or five years of that, so say 30 years of sermons, 50 of them a year, you know, missing one or two here and there, so let's to be on the conservative side, say maybe 1,400 sermons that I've sat through. Um, I would say the number of sermons that I have heard out of that, uh, out of that group that are directly on the subject of money and generosity uh, is, well, I couldn't say exactly. Pretty sure it's less than 10, maybe less than five. Um, there's a reason for that, um, and it's mainly that pastors uh, are really nervous about talking about this subject. Um, the reason that they're nervous about it is, one, they're afraid that there'll be a visitor there, and the visitor will have all of their uh, biases confirmed, which is that the church is only interested in my money. I, this one day, I decided to get up early and come and see what was going on, and sure enough, all they wanted to do was talk about getting my money. Now, why do they have that bias? It's because of these people on TV. And can I just say, please don't give your money to them. Uh, if they are, let's just think about it. If they are on TV, they don't need your money. If they are on the TV, they are doing very, very well. Their ministry is doing very, very well. They have private jets. They have fancy suits. They have huge houses. If they're on TV, they don't need your money. Okay. We'll talk a little bit more about them a little later on. Uh, but the other reason I think that pastors are generally nervous about talking about uh, money in sermons uh, is uh, that they're also nervous that their members, the people who actually go to their church and know that they don't actually talk about this all the time, but they will, they're afraid that uh, their members will hear this uh, as a self-serving sermon. And they say, well, look, of course you're talking about how we should give more money because you live off of it. Um, so we have uh, two advantages here this morning. One, this is the middle of the summer, so we are a lot less likely to have visitors. Uh, if you are a visitor, we're so glad that you're here, and I hope you understand by now that we don't talk about this much. Um, and if you are not a member of this church, please keep your money. Give it to your own church. Uh, if you have one, if you don't have one, consider finding one, maybe here, and then we'll talk about um, whether you want to give here. Um, uh, and secondly, y'all don't pay my salary. <laughs> uh, uh, a little bit. Uh, we'll have a budget update pretty soon, and you'll be reminded um, of what exactly the church budgets for me uh, and the rest of what we live on I earn. Um, so you don't have to worry about this being a self-serving sermon from me. Um, and, 
as it happens, oh, and I was supposed to pray for this. Um, Logan, uh, this week, is actually fundraising, and that's where he's been most of this month, um, because uh, we in this room uh, have not yet been able to uh, support this church. Um, we're doing better, um, but uh, we're not there yet, and so we are still, as a church, relying on the generosity of people uh, in other parts of the country. Um, and Lord, please prosper Logan's efforts this, this week. Uh, so let's talk about money. Um, I, I think I've got to start by giving you a little background information from the Bible, some of the principles that are underneath this text. So the person who wrote this text and the first people who read this text would have already understood by the time they got to it. Um, one is that uh, everything that he's talking about here uh, in this passage is undergirded by the fact that human beings are created as uh, God's images. That means that we have the vocation, we have the duty. Uh, as human beings, all of us, no matter what our belief system is, we have the duty to uh, be God's representation and God's representative. That is, we are to stand before the world to show all of creation something about what God is like. And we are to relate to one another um, as sacred objects that have that purpose. And we are to care for the world in the way that God cares for the world. So that's one. And the second is uh, the person reading this text and the person writing this text would already uh, have firmly in hand um, that God is the owner of all of the wealth in the world. Um, the most famous uh, verse, uh, verse that says this is uh, in uh, one of the Psalms uh, where it says, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Um, presumably, the cattle on those thousands of hills actually had human owners, at least some of them. Um, but God is saying, I, I own all of that, and you're, you are my subletters. Uh, I actually own it all. And then the final thing uh, is that God himself is generous. So if we are to represent God, and use his money the way that he does, generosity, uh, liberality, should define the way that we relate to our money, which is not our money, his money, okay? Uh, and the final thing, uh, tangentially related, is that I think that you can see even in this passage that money itself isn't bad. Uh, having money isn't bad. Uh, having money in this passage seems to be a good thing. Like part of the promise here is, is if you are generous, uh, it'll increase your likelihood of having more money. Now we'll talk about what the mechanism of that is. Uh, but the principle being uh, that having money itself is a good thing. Uh, and God himself is generous. Uh, Psalm 33.5 says, The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. I would indicate his generosity. Psalm 68.9 uh, says, uh, You, God, you shed abroad a plentiful rain, O God. You confirmed your inheritance when the earth was parched. Uh, Psalm 65.9-13, You, Lord, visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, and thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You have crowned the year with your bounty. 
and your paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip, and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks, and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. God is generous to all of creation. And Jesus himself very, got very specific about this to say that God's generosity is not limited to those who behave well. God's generosity is not limited to those who you and I might think deserve it. Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. But again, to do it like God does it. You want to do it like God does it. He says, God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. The generosity of God, the material generosity of God, uh, is not confined to people who behave well. Okay, so those are just some basic principles that would be underneath this text uh, before we even get to it. Um, your bulletin says that the topic for this uh, Sunday is generosity. Uh, that's accurate, uh, but really, I think if you look carefully at this text, the opposite is, is more the case. This is more than a text about generosity. This is, seems to be actually a text about stinginess, the opposite of generosity. Uh, take a look at verse 26. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. A curse is on him who holds back grain, but there's a blessing on the head of him who sells it. That's not even talking about generosity, is it? That's just talking about being reasonable, right? The cultural thing here, we don't live in an agrarian society, so some of this is tough to, for us to connect to immediately. But think about it, okay? Imagine, if you will, you live in a village or a small town, um, you know, probably no more than a few hundred people, and one person in your town, whether he has had a plentiful harvest or he is a, a grain merchant, he has a large store of grain. And now there's a famine. And he says to himself, ooh, good. I can decline to sell my store and let the price go up. And I can drive the price up and up and up, and I am going to get rich uh, because of this famine. Uh, that's stinginess. Right? That's not, we're not even talking about like selling the grain at that point wasn't even generous. It's just reasonable. Um, but people would curse that person. Imagine how you would feel about that person as your children start to lose weight. And he's got this mountain of grain in his barn. And he's just waiting for the right time. Uh, stinginess, uh, stinginess means holding your own money in such a high regard um, that the needs of other people become irrelevant to you. Stinginess means withholding uh, on purpose uh, to harm of other people uh, for your own gain, for your own protection. You might be stingy just because you don't want to uh, risk that if this famine goes on too long, maybe I'll be the one to starve. I wanna, I'm going to hang on to this stuff. But that's stinginess too. Um, but what this proverb is telling us is that stinginess actually is going to cost you. He's, he's being practical here. He's not even yet being, being spiritual about it and talking about favor with God or anything like that. He's just, talking, he's just saying, look, 
this is going to cost you if you behave this way. Um, it's going to cost your long-term prosperity if you're stingy. Um, if you look at verse 24, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should have and only suffers one. Now this, this you know, it kind of sounds like you know, a, a, a child's riddle or something. Like, what gets wetter as it dries? You know, oh, a towel. You know, it's like, what kind of a vessel gets more full as you drain it? What kind of a vessel gets emptier the more you pour into it? Uh, there's one, there's a, there's a kind of a vessel that gets more full the more it pours out. And there's a kind of a vessel uh, that gets emptier and emptier the more uh, it withholds. One gives freely and grows all the richer. Uh, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Uh, the advice here is practical. And if you think about an agrarian society, how the way, like, if you started to behave this way towards your neighbors, the day is going to come when your need is going uh, to arrive. And if you've been treating your neighbors this way, uh, you run the risk of them treating you that way. That, you, know, you may not run out of grain, but maybe your barn is going to burn down. Uh, fires happen. Thieves happen. Uh, your need is going to happen, and you are going to need your neighbors. You're going to need their goodwill. So it's going to cost you the goodwill of your neighbors, and that's going to challenge your long-term prosperity. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. If you have a generous disposition, he's saying, you're going to get it back. People are going to have goodwill toward you. So that's one of the costs of stinginess. But the, the second cost is God's favor, and, that, and that, that's there in verse 26. It says the people curse him who holds back grain. The Hebrew is, uh, the word isn't particularly curse. It's to, it, it's to mark. The people mark someone who holds back grain. And it means to mark him in prayer. It means that if you, are, if you are that person hoarding the grain and not selling it at the market value to your neighbors when they need it, people are going to pray. And what they're going to be praying for is God to come to their rescue. I mean, and it's going to, to be a little dramatic about it, it's God's going to hear those prayers and kind of look down and say, hmm, the people in this village are asking me to help them get grain. Where can I find some? Ooh, there's some grain. Like, the prayer is actually, even if they're not specifically praying against you, to God to hurt you, they're praying for grain. And you're the one who has it. And so, de facto, by default, the prayer is against you. A blessing is on the, on the head of him who sells it. And again, it doesn't even have to be particular. The pe people who are... They're just going to, they're going to be grateful and they're going to be praying and they're going to be thanking God that this is happening and it's going to be for you that they will be expressing this prayer. And God uh, over and over uh, has said that these are prayers that he will hear. Um, Proverbs, um, since we're in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 22 verse 23, uh, speaking about the poor says the Lord will plead their cause. Um, similarly, Jeremiah 22, 16. And this is talking about King Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah 22. Um, and it says that the, that, uh, uh, the Lord 
Uh, no, actually, that's later. Uh, in Jeremiah 22, he's talking about Judah. And he says about Judah uh, that the Lord is going to plead the cause of the poor in Judah. So if that's what stinginess means, and that's what the, the cost of stinginess is, um, one practical thing that this looks like is when you think about how much you should be giving, and your question is that. Your question is, how much should I be giving? What percent of my income ought I be giving? I want to suggest to you that that is a question rooted in stinginess. Uh, if, you're, if the question that you are starting with is, how much do I need to give in order to be giving enough? That's a question that's rooted in stinginess. Um, I think one of the things we're going to need to parse out here is that there can be a difference between um, practical generosity and moral generosity. Do you see what I mean? Um, that I could, um, I could give, a, if I had a lot of money, I could give a lot of money to a charity in order to get a tax break, in order to get my name on a building or something like that. Um, but I'm still doing that for selfish, stingy reasons. Right, so it might be practical generosity, but it would be moral stinginess. Um, conversely, uh, I could be very poor um, and give very sacrificially uh, and not make a big dent in the problem. Um, but my behavior is marked by a spirit of moral uh, generosity. Um, and so that question, what percent should I be giving, is going to be rooted in that kind of moral stinginess. Um, but the opposite, of course, of, of stinginess is generosity. Again, practical or moral. Um, and this passage uh, tells us some benefits to generosity, and they're the opposite of the cost of stinginess. They're long-term prosperity, that if you, are a, if you are known as a generous person, you're going to have the goodwill of your neighbors. They're going to do business with you more. Um, they're going to help you when you're in need, and it's going to aid your long-term prosperity. Um, and as we discussed, that blessing, right? when the people are praying to God and thanking him for their prosperity, um, you are the one that they will be praying for. And you'll have favor with God. Um, so we know that generosity is good. I think that uh, in our culture, uh, some cultures don't value it. I think in our culture we do. I think that we, we sort of recognize as a culture that, that a generous person is a good person. Uh, we would like to think of ourselves as generous people. Um, but what would be uh, the barriers to us being as generous as we ought to be? Um, I think the first one to talk about is fear. And I think if you just look down, I, you know, it's, it's hard to decide exactly how long to make this passage. Um, and where to stop. But take a look down at verse 28, two verses after this one ends. Uh, it says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. One of the reasons that we fail to be generous, one of the reasons that we can be stingy is because we are worried about our own future. We're worried about our own children. We want to make sure that we're taken care of. And if I start giving money away, when do I stop? And then what if I need something? Um, what if... What if my car breaks down? Uh, what if I have a fire in my house? Where am I going to get my help from if I uh, have given away all my money? Actually, I really, before I can start giving money away, I really need to make sure that I'm 
secure. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But fear is one of the things that would pre prevent us from being generous. Another, um, another thing, in our culture, I think that this is a big one, is the belief that you have earned what you have and are entitled to it. Uh, so let me ask you a question. Um, if you are uh, prosperous, if you are financially secure, even if you're uh, financially okay, um, where did you get those resources? Well, I worked for them. Okay, where did you get the ability to work for them. Well, I went to college. Where did you get uh, the ability to go to college? Uh, well, I got a scholarship. How did you get the scholarship? Well, with my brain and my hard work. Where did you get the brain that you used to get that scholarship and the brain which you used to motivate yourself to do hard work? Where did you get it? Did you make it? Did you, before you were born, have some conversation with God where you said, God, here's what I would like for my brain to look like. Ah, I know what, I know what I'm gonna need. Uh, let me have, uh, let me have a, a, an IQ of 140. Let me be good at math because I'm gonna be living in a society that really values math skill. No, you didn't do any of that. God made you. Okay, you don't believe in God then you're even worse off because you really didn't make yourself. You are a confluence of atoms. You can't own anything. You can't be entitled to anything. You just are. You're like a rock taking up space. What right do you have to the space that you take up as a rock? What right do you have to the money that you have accrued to yourself through the skills that you have, through the brain that you have, because you, that's the confluence of atoms that you are? Uh, the scripture says, uh, Paul in one of his epistles asks, what do you have that you have not been given? I'd like you to consider that question. What do you have that you have not been given? Do you have anything? Do you have anything that you have not been given? Do you have a skill? Do you have an ability that you have that either God gave to you or you accidentally evolved to have. Like it's like one of those two. Right? You didn't make yourself in either case. God says this, Jeremiah 27, five, and this is the one about Nebuchadnezzar. God says, it is I, who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and the animals that are on the earth and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Anything that you possess, you have because God thought this suits my plan. It's not because you have uh, earned it or deserve it. It is because he gave it to you. Now, the interesting thing about this is this is about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a conqueror, and he was conquering the people of God. And what God's talking about here is you're being conquered because I'm letting you be conquered. 
Nebuchadnezzar sure thinks that he's the one doing this. Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he's conquering you because he's some great military genius and he's uh, the, the person who has the right to inherit the earth and he's going to seize it for himself through his own power. And God is saying, he only has those things because I gave them to him to suit my purposes. You may have earned the money that you have, but you've earned it through abilities that God gave to you. Does that make you entitled to those things that you have? Can you really claim a sense of entitlement over those things? Uh, another belief that's a barrier to generosity is the belief uh, that you will give more when you have more. I think in, in this room, in this city, I think that's many of us. Um, I, I saw some statistics that were like the 50 largest cities in the United States and you know, just kind of ranked by the percentage uh, of charitable donations uh, in those cities. Boston was fourth from the bottom of the 50 largest cities in America. I think that one of the reasons for that might be because so many people who live here are here only for a few years while they're building their lives and building their careers and they're thinking, I can't really afford to give now, but I will later. And I gotta suggest to you that if that is what you think, you're deceiving yourself. Let me give you some facts. Um, there is an inverse correlation between income and percent of money given. I'll say that again, there is an inverse correlation between income and percent of income given to charity. That means that the poorer you are, the higher percentage of your income you give. The people who make $20,000 a year or less in this country have the highest track record of giving money away as a percentage of their income, right? The total money given away, of course, is small because 4.5% of 20,000 is not very much money. Um, but, you know, 2.5% of $100,000, of $500,000, of a million dollars is a larger uh, actual amount of money. Um, and this brings us back to this difference between uh, moral generosity and practical generosity. Um, let me give you another fact uh, that uh, has, has come to light since the, uh, the Great Recession started in 2009. The amount of money given by people who make $100,000 or more has gone down by 5% since the Great Recession started. In other words, the richest people in the country decreased their generosity uh, when hard economic times came. And you know what I'm gonna say next, the poorest people in the country, when the hard economic times came, their percentage of giving went up since the Great Recession started. Let me tell you a fact about yourself. You are giving more money now than you will when you have more money. 
if you are waiting to become generous for when you have more money, one, it's not going to happen. The statistics say, unless you are a statistical anomaly, you're going to give less money when you have more money. You, are, you will be less generous later than you are now if, if your income goes up. And let me tell you another fact. That if that's your approach to generosity, that's not generosity. If what you're saying is, I'm going to wait until it doesn't hurt me so much, that's not generosity. That's still self-serving. That's, that's, that's the meaning of stinginess. I would give money away, but it hurts too much, so I'm going to wait until it doesn't hurt me so much. Then I'll give money away. That's not generosity. Again, it might be practical generosity. You might end up, you know, five years from now, if you've finished whatever internship or residency or whatever you're doing and you're making $700,000 a year at some fancy law firm, um, you might be giving a larger flat amount of money away, but you will be giving a smaller amount away. And if you're waiting for that to start to become generous, then that's actually stinginess. Okay. So how do we? become less stingy and become more generous? How do we become more like uh, the person in this text, the one who gives freely, yet grows all the richer? How do we become the person who brings blessing and will be enriched? How do we become the person who waters? Well, there are some attempts that people make. There are some ideas that people have. I think one, uh, one idea that people have is, uh, is that you'll tell yourself, well, you'll tell yourself what this proverb says, or if, uh, that what a shallow reading of this proverb would say. Well, I, I really should be more generous because if I'm more generous, then I'll get more money. There'll be a magical thing that happens, that if I give more money away, more money with the universe, it'll just it'll attract money to me. Um, this is, in Christian circles, this is known as the prosperity gospel. Um, or sometimes called the health and wealth gospel. And these are the people on TV. The reason that they're always, you know, they talk about money all the time is because what their message is, is if you're having a hard time and you need money and you're struggling financially, the thing you can do in order to get more money is send a little bit of money to me and pray. And I'll pray for you. And then the money you have will multiply like little rabbits in your bank account. Uh, <laughs> I tell you, this, this idea is not rooted in the Bible. Um, this idea is actually rooted in a 19th century esoteric philosophy known as the New Thought Movement um, that has continued to this day. In 2006, there was a book came out called The Secret, um, which actually saw lampooned. Uh, I, ca I caught the beginning of a TV show one time. They were making fun of this. And it was, this book came out in 2006, okay? And the, the characters on this show were, were putting pictures on a poster board. And another character comes in and he's like, what are you guys doing? And he's like, oh, well, so-and-so read this book and told the secret and told us about it. And I'm, gonna, I'm putting a picture of a Lamborghini on this board and then, I'm, and then I get the Lamborghini. That's how it works. You, put, you have a vision board and you put stuff that you want on the vision board and then you get the stuff. And then the other person is like, yeah, that's how I got this house. I did this, this, I put it on the vision board, and I envisioned it, the, that the 
this would happen and I, and I did some good works and I got the stuff. And like, oh, good works, you have to do good works? Oh, I guess that makes sense. Okay, so we need to envision what we want and then do some good works and we get the stuff. That's what this philosophy says and that's what these prosperity gospel preachers are essentially saying. They're saying the same thing. This is not rooted in the Bible. Uh, and can I remind you that if you're doing good works in order to get stuff, if you're giving money away in order to get more money later, that's still not generosity. Right? That's an investment. And stupid investment at that. <laughs> All right. So that's not going to work. Right? If you start to give in order to get more, that might fuel you a little while. But when it doesn't work, when the investment doesn't pay off, you're going to give up on it. And you're not going to become a generous person because you're really just still being selfish. Another one is, and you'll hear this a lot, you'll hear this from Christians, and it's, it makes some sense until you press on it. Um, don't give until it hurts, give until it feels good. <laughs> generosity, generosity is supposed, like, the, the Bible says, be a joyful giver, so we should give money away, and if it's uncomfortable to give money away, just give more away, and more and more, and then it'll start to feel good. In other words, if you, if you start to obey with your outward behavior, do the thing that you're supposed to do, it will eventually change your heart, and that's a lie. That's not how your heart gets changed. You can make little changes, you can change your habits, uh, but again, it's still not generosity. Uh, if you're giving in order to feel good, you're still giving out of a selfish motivation. And it's not going to reshape your heart because you're still being selfish. You're not really being generous. You're giving money away in order to feel good about yourself. And that might be, folks, a more dangerous kind of a, of a selfishness than giving money away in order to get money. Because one, it's easier to trick yourself for longer. And two, that, that kind of feeling good about yourself is going to poison you. Right? If you are doing good works in order to feel good about yourself, uh, that has the potential to turn you into a cold, self-righteous, uh, hard, unforgiving person. You don't want to go down that road. Um, Finally, uh, a suggestion that's out there is give in order to get God's favor. All right? In order to get God to bless you, even if you're not talking about bless you materially, I'm going to give in order that God will bless me in some way. Um, there's a, a passage in the, in the Bible that kind of talks about that. It's in Malachi 3, and it's a very famous passage about generosity and about tithing in particular. It says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse because you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and to see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing so big that you won't even be able to contain it and there will be no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy you. 
so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, your vine in the field. Shall not bear, uh, shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. That's a big promise. All right, God is promising his people in the Old Testament. Bring that 10%, tithe literally translates 10%. Bring that 10%. We're talking about what percentage are you supposed to give. Uh, God's standard in the Old Testament was 10% for everybody. 10%. Bring it all in. If you don't, you're stealing from me. And what do you think is going to happen then? But if you do, I will pour out a blessing so great that you will not be able to contain it. Okay. There is some disagreement among Christians, even in our own tradition, probably within our own presbytery, as to whether or not that 10% rule is binding on us. Um, I think I want to come back to the earlier point, that if your question is, what percent am I supposed to give, you're asking the wrong question. That, that's a question that's rooted in stinginess. But the real point here is, brothers and sisters, what is the blessing so great that we are not able to contain it? What is that blessing that we are not able to contain? You see, God knew that we would never be able to live up to that standard. Um, that the poor among us, 10%, is an overwhelming number. And the rich among us don't care. So God knew that we wouldn't be able to live up to his standard. And that is why, uh, as our New Testament passage says, he emptied himself for us. Being in the very form of God, didn't consider Jesus, didn't even consider equality with God a thing to, for him to grasp but emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, says one translation, took on himself the form of a servant and was found in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion of a human being, he lowered himself even more and emptied himself even more, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and may given him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Okay. Jesus earned what Malachi is promising. That blessing that were so great that we would not even be able to contain it is Jesus himself. He poured himself out to be that blessing for us that we can't even contain. That's why he emptied himself. Not just to show us how to get a blessing, but to be the blessing that we need. Not just to show us how to earn God's favor, but to earn it for us. See, he earned it. He did earn it. God, because of what he did, God exalted him highly and gave him a name above every name. And everyone in the universe is going to bow before him. And he says that he shares himself with us. That what he earned, he passes to us. He unites us to himself so that what he has belongs to us. He didn't just come to show us the way. He came to be, us, to be the way. He earned that reward and he gives freely. If 
God owns all of the property and all of the wealth and all of the world, and you're really, you're his subletter. And if everything you have, you have because God gave it to you and gave you the ability to get it for his purposes. And if Jesus Christ has purchased you with his own blood and given you all of the wealth that he earned with his sacrifice, if those things are true, how much of your money should you give to the Lord? All of it. What percent should you be putting in the offering when it comes by every week? All of it. You make $500 a week, you should be putting $500 in the plate every week. You make $1,000, you should be putting $1,000 in the plate every week. If you make $20 a week, you should be putting $20 in the plate every week. How am I going to live? Okay, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because one of the reasons that God gave you that money was so that you could live on it. One of the reasons he gave you the ability to work is so that you could support yourself and your family with that money. Case in point, okay? Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, says, let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor with his hands so that he will have something to give to those in need. Two principles there coming out, right? God gave you the ability to work so that you could earn money for yourself, one principle, and to give to people who are in need, two principles. Two things that God wants you to do with your money. Support yourself on it and support people in need. There's, there, there's people who actually who can't, who don't have the ability to work. Maybe they never had it, maybe they don't have it anymore, uh, and they're in need. And so God gave you the ability to work uh, to support yourself and your brothers and sisters in need. Right? 2 Thessalonians 3. We command you, brothers. Oof, we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not according to the tradition that you receive for us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with the toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It's not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay, again, there are people who aren't able to work. But God gave us, that have the ability to work, he gave us the ability to work to support ourselves and to help other people in need. So 100% of your money belongs to God by his right as creator, by his right as, as giving it to you, and by right of conquest of Jesus Christ who has conquered you with his own death. It all belongs to him. What does he want you to do with it? He wants you to support yourself with it, and he wants you to give the rest away. So the question is not how much should I be giving away. The question is what do I need to live on? What do I actually need to live on? How much of what I have did God give me because I need it to feed me and my family? And for the rest, perhaps I should just be trusting him. All of this is rooted 
uh, in his claim on us and in what he has done for us. And as the psalmist has said, what can I render to the Lord for all that he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. All right, there's no answer to that question. There's no answer, what can I give to the Lord? You can't give anything to the Lord. We don't give our money back to him to thank him for what he's done for us. The only thing we can do in response to what he has so freely given to us is to continue to take and to drink deeply from the cup of salvation. Let's go to the table.